All right, welcome back to the Pat's Pints podcast. We are returning from yet another hiatus, probably about six months out since the last podcast. But of course, I was in Europe for part of that time, so that's at least a little bit to blame. I am joined today, as always, by my partner in crime, Mark Richards. Yeah, season's greetings. A good season for uh, strong, dark beers, isn't it? Which is great. And Mark and I are joined today by longtime home brewer A.J. Zanuck. Welcome, AJ. Cheers. Happy to have you with us. Absolutely. Today's episode, like some of the ones we've been doing lately, is focused on a style of beer. And today we're going to be going into all the details on Baltic Porter. Yum. Yeah, that's one of my favorite styles. It's a great style. And I've got a couple of people with me here who've been into Baltic Porters for longer than you know, some people who are now drinking beer have been alive. And uh, You don't have to say it exactly that way, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> but I, I feel where you're coming from. We've got some seasoned veterans in the world of Baltic Porters, and, and actually an interesting story to tell about how Baltic Porter came to be a style in uh, the BJCP guidelines. Why don't we start off by just saying a little bit, what is a Baltic Porter? Well, I've got one in my hand right now. A which Baltica one? number six, which widely available here in town. And what's this go for, AJ? About a buck seventy nine. Actually, I, I don't pay attention to price. I just bought it. Well, <laughs> it's not a big spend to get a bottle of this, and it's a pretty good drinker. Very approachable. Has a little bit, a little bit of that dark fruit, maybe a little licorice twist to it. There. Uh, what are you getting out of that, AJ? A little caramel. Yeah. Caramel. Bit of chocolate too. Just a touch, yeah. There's, yeah. There's, a, there's a good toast character to this as well. I would agree. Now, Baltica is from Russia, if I'm not mistaken. It's not Polish. It is not Polish. Back up just a minute for everyone and do a little geography lesson. Baltics, what does that mean? Bal- Talk about the Baltic Sea, right? The and Baltic surrounding Sea. countries. What are some of the uh, countries that have a Baltic coastline? Was it Estonia, Latvia? Um, Lithuania? Fin- Finland? Finland. And don't forget Sweden. And then I think they ex- also extended into Poland and... Um, Austria or something, maybe? Uh, no, 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 no Austria, uh, Russia. Russia. I think at one time, uh, <clears throat> Poland was uh, kind of part of Austria-Hungary yeah. region. Uh, that would predate World War II, right? Mm-hmm. That is correct. I, I just do want to point out Austria is landlocked, though. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, they've got some nice lakes, though. I'm planning a trip right now, actually. <laughs> so inside that land, there's, there's some water. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me a little bit about how you guys got into Baltic Porters. You got into Baltic Porters back in the 1990s, right? In the 20th century. Mm-hmm. What what were the Baltic Porters that turned you on to the style? Took us back a whole century. That, that doesn't <laughs> sound right to say. La, la, in last century. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, most of the beers that, that we were finding of interest were imported beers. Uh, we were trying to mostly brew styles that we knew that were like 90s brew pub styles you know a lot of them from the uk some european influence we had uh hosters here in town that excelled at uh lagers you know german style we have barley's here in town which uh did a fine job with you know uk styles i would say if if that would probably be the best way to to sum up some of that interest as it related to brewing but the beers we were searching out were you know imported beers yeah well, I mean, ninety nine percent of what was on the shelves back then was fizzy, frozen, and flavorless. Yeah, yeah, you really had to search to find something good. And then, even if you found it, nine times out of ten, it was the, the bottle on the shelf was uh, rather dusty. 
Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Everything that was around at that time was, um, I mean, uh, I don't remember Baltica, but I do remember uh, Snabrikov being around. I remember uh, Carnegie Porter. Um, what else was there? There was... Um, Okachim. 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 Is that I how you say it? O- Okachim. And, and then... Sa- that was a good beer. <clears throat> Saku, Estonian Porter. I remember that being around. Uh, I haven't seen that one in a long time, though. Yeah. And I think those are all from different countries, right? I think Carnegie from Sweden, the Snabrikov from Finland... The Okachim, that's Okachim, Polish. Okachim, that was Polish, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the Saku, that's Estonian. That's Estonian, yeah. Yeah. Did you have a favorite of the, among those? Uh, well, actually, uh, uh, later on, I found a favorite that I like was uh, Snebrikov. Okay. Yeah, the Finnish one. Yeah, and that was really good. And then, Pat, you said you had one of those uh, recently, one abroad? I went to Helsinki a few years ago, and I had, uh, I had a couple of those in a bar. Yeah, fantastic beer. Nice. Couldn't have brought one back, could you? <laughs> it was on draft. Oh, okay, fair enough. All right, you're excused. But then, I guess, then that inspired you guys to to take up some homebrewing attempts at uh, this style. These days, of course, there's lots of resources out there to try and come up with a recipe, but what would you have done back then? Back then, there was nothing. I mean, you, you can read the bottle label, which told you a little bit, uh, and then there, there was some uh, excerpts on the back in what was the, the, the smaller internet back then. Uh, that I, I found that was something like, uh, you know, they would talk about the kilning methods and, you know, the brewers trained in London. Okay. And then took the recipes back and made them bigger and, and made them loggers and all that fun stuff. But, yeah. yeah, yeah I, think, I think there is a thread to the story where where they were, like, influenced by the London, uh, the porters of London at some point in time. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's, like, 12 different ways to tell these stories, and they're all different. It just depends on which text you seek out, right? Yeah. Well, it is kind of a hybrid style. I think I think of it that way. I don't know if that's correct, but you've got I think it was influenced by things like the imperial stouts that would go to Russia. That would you where do you go? You go through the Baltic Sea to get there. Yeah. Some of those got dropped off. And then maybe I think that trade start dried up a little bit due to war and then they started that's what they knew. Then I think there was also then but that was kind of well, lager brewing country that that's near Germany. So you had the lager influence and well, to be honest, in, in places like Finland and, and Russia, it's pretty easy to lager things, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's cold there, right? So yeah. most of the year, it's, it's great, great weather for lagering. What is the difference between robust porter and a Baltic porter? The character of the rose, mainly. And normally, a robust mm-hmm. porter uh, would also be an ale. Yeah. You know, so that's a huge difference because I don't think that a Baltic porter has to be a lager, but I think most of them are. Yeah, they, well, or you know, cold fermented ales or some yep, such thing yep, like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not quite sure what the modern versions are doing, but I, I know back when uh, when we got started, it was they were they're loggers. Okay, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I think I think most of them still are, as mm-hmm. far as I can tell. Yeah, tell me about this beer, Motherbird. Right, that was a beer that you came up with, AJ, back in the '90s. Right? Well, uh, the, the the recipe came from me, but Motherbird came from Mark. Okay, that's now, right. <laughs> he, he he was the label master back in the days, and he was he was creating all these interesting labels. And so uh, I said, I, you know, I got a, I got a recipe. You want to you want to brew it with me? And he says, like, well, I'll, I'll cook up a label for it, and we went off from there. So okay, yeah. And AJ had a sizable kettle, like you had like a twenty gallon pot, maybe fifteen. Oh, I, yeah, I was like 15 back in that day. Yeah. 15, yeah. yeah. So we could brew, you know, enough that both of us could have a carboy at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, which was always fun because we brewed several beers together that, uh, you know, we went our different ways, sometimes using different yeasts and mm-hmm. being able to come back and see what those differences were. 
off of the base beer, which was always fun. Sometimes uh, had a couple through fruit in some of it, you know. Uh, Frankenberry, I remember. You remember that one? With the, that was uh, just about turned out like punch in a beer. It was so purple from uh, raspberries from the yard. Yeah. So I was looking at that recipe before the podcast, and it had something called porter malt, what, which I've never heard. Porter of malt mix. Porter malt mix. So with, tell was, me about that. Well, okay. the uh, The application that I was using back then was written by Daryl Richmond, uh, who he was a prominent home brewer back in the day. Okay. Uh, he wrote an application for the Mac that I used to, to but it was uh, it was limited in, in terms of how many entries you could make for your recipe. Okay, and I think it capped you off at like eight eight entries. <laughs> so when when I when I did a blend, so like when I did my base malt, I would use a blend of like uh, say pale or pills, yeah, and then of course Vienna and Munich. Okay, and so basically, I just basically rotated that into what I call a porter mix, which is like one third of each. Oh, okay, and then that that way yeah. I had one entry for three three grains. So it was one third pale, one third pills, and one third. Munich. Vienna or Munich? Vienna and Munich, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, depending on the recipe, it would be um, pale or pills. If it was a lager, it was pills. If it was an ale, I made pale. Okay. So you guys brewed a big batch of Motherbird, and you split the... You, at the end of the day, you each went home with a... Well, it was brewed at your place, AJ. Yeah. So Mark yeah. went home with yeah. a carboy. I was always bottle conditioning mine at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd bottle uh, every beer that I brewed. I would bottle in some of those... It was a benefit to have a bottle-conditioned version of it later. Some others, you know, it was just for uh, sake of portability to uh, already have it in the bottle, even if it was a pale ale and you drink it fast. But I think, yeah, this uh, this particular beer definitely does well with some bottle conditioning, we found out. Did you guys ferment with the same yeast? No. I think I think we used different yeast. I believe we did, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, but the, the big thing back then was that uh, Mark was bottling and I was mm-hmm. kegging. And you take a you take a keg of something like that to the to a club meeting, and they just suck it dry. Sure. So yeah. when the, when the, when the state fair came around, I was I was out. So Mark still had a couple of bottles left, so he entered them. Yeah. Okay. You normally had to have three bottles to enter a competition. Yeah. I think I had lied about my stock being depleted. Probably about a case in was when I realized these should probably sit for a while. <laughs> and then every now and then, if the right person was over, I'd say, "Hey, by the way, I got a mother bird left. Let's have one." And uh, didn't break them out too often, but did at least have three bottles left to enter in the fair with some other entries that I had at that time. And this was, at this stage, it was about two years old. Is that correct? Yeah, about a year and a half old. Yeah, a year and a half. This was the 2001 State Fair because we looked at it before we started. That's right. And this was brewed October of... Nineteen ninety nine. That's when we were partying, just like it was nineteen ninety nine back Make, then. Making porter like it's nineteen ninety nine. So hey, you kids, when you hear that song, that's what we were doing. Oh, you didn't answer my question about the yeast. So the one that went in the bottle. That, I, th- I thought you did ten twenty eight, right? I believe it. Was, I thought it was London Ale, but you know we can settle all bets by walking across the room there. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I, th- I think I did. Um, I think my favorite use back in the, back in those days was um, oh maybe I did ten twenty eight. Hold on a second. Let's let's let Mark check. I used ten twenty eight. Okay, he used ten twenty eight. I I used. You were right, AJ. I used um, what did I use? I used uh, almost an equivalent. It was a Y yeast. You know, it was a London yeah. Thames. Basically. So this was far from a lager, but I mean, it was kept on a cold basement floor. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you did have, well, you had two years in the bottle. Had so two you, years you of conditioning. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell yeah. you, yeah. 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 So it turns out this beer, it 
won the best in show at the state fair. Is that mm-hmm. correct? That's correct. Which yeah. is that's a big deal, I've got to say. Certainly wasn't the amount of of commercial breweries at that time. So probably in '99, a lot of the more interesting beers we were drinking were from home brewers. Yeah, and some really bad ones too. Actually, yeah. You know, but well, it was it was interesting judging back in those days because the 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 hit versus miss ratio was towards the miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's a lot more towards the hit these days. Uh, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, we're, I'm judging it's a lot, a lot harder beers to judge nowadays. Now. Yeah. Yes, I would agree. I guess availability of ingredients is part of the story. Well, and then of course there was knowledge and yeah. everything else too, and, and equipment and whatnot. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Well, then um, I, I judged the day Mark won, and so of course uh, I'm talking to uh, Gordon Strong at the end of the day, and. Uh, learned that he had an interest in the style. Now, we might want to introduce who Gordon Strong is for some of the listeners out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, back then he was another home brewer. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, he, he and I started about the same year. Uh, Gordon's from Dayton, right? Yeah, Gordon was from Dayton, and he was in the Dayton club, and then I, we were from Sods. And, and uh-huh. of course, our two clubs back in that day would mix quite a bit. We would go to each okay. other's events and whatnot. So the bottom line is is that uh, you know Gordon was there, and he judged best to show, and he was impressed with the beer and all that stuff. And then uh, we, we did some emails back and forth and whatnot. And about uh, I don't know six to nine months later, um, he showed up on my front door. Okay. And uh, did we, he tell you he was coming? He, he told me he was coming, <laughs> and uh, he brought a he brought a uh, just like a, like I did today. I brought a bunch of uh, samples of the style, and then uh, he brought some notes with him and stuff like that. And we basically brewed another batch in my basement. Okay. And then we 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 drank the samples and we made notes and and then uh, he took that off and and basically turned it into what became the uh, the Baltic Porter style. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or the guidelines, anyway. I mean, that's that's kind of very cool it's to be part of that. Yeah. yeah. I really didn't even know this stream off of the story. I think until recently, when okay. when you uh, won with once again a Baltic Porter in the in the Barley's the, the resurgence, uh, yes, yeah, Homebridge competition, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, uh, yeah. Basically, uh, you know, Gordon uh, he took those notes that we made in my basement. And uh, he went. Uh, he went off, and he, he uh, polished it up a little bit. Okay. And then about I'd say about a year later, he contacted me with a uh, a, a link to a forum that I got involved in, and it turned out it was all the guys that were the contributors for the BJCP style guides. Okay. And we they, everybody was debating all the various styles, and so um, uh, I got involved in it, and I, you know, I, ma- I made a couple points here and there, and then next thing I knew, about a year later, the 2004 style guidelines come out, and I'm listed as a contributor. So That's was, very cool. So I was happy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah, really cool. I mean. You know, we look at these style guidelines, and they're influential in a lot of ways. I mean, commercial brewers make a beer, they want to send it to the GABF or whatever's got to hit those style guidelines. So to kind of go inside that a little bit, basically you're saying that you went and found what kind of Baltic porters arrived here in America that you could get, and you, you sat and drank them, and, and then basically tried to say, what is the commonality of these beers? Is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, basically what I, what I would do is, you know, I would, I would get the this, this examples of the style, whatever, whatever notes I could find on the Internet, and then um, I just sat down and said, okay, I'm getting a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And I just started, you know, making some notes. And I, I, I hobbled a, a recipe together, and I, I brewed it. And I, I, I said, you know, back then I said, hey, Mark, try this. And he said, oh, hey, I might be interested in making a batch of that. So, you yeah. know, about a, about a year or so later we did. Yeah, I think we brewed this three times in total, didn't we? Together, Sounds, I know Hans, Hans did, yeah, yeah. joined in one time. And, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I remember because the, the, the very next day he showed up with a loaf of bread. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hans is always baking. And, From the man, spent grain? 
uh, or no? It, it might have been occasionally, okay. occasionally. Yeah. But Hans is a very good baker. I yeah. think yeah. you've been a recipient of a loaf before. Yeah. I have that. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's a great baker. Let me ask a different question, and that is, what is the first example of a domestic Baltic porter, commercial Baltic porter that you saw? Oh wow! Yes. I don't know. After, you know, after just, the style guidelines got would, out there, did the whole world say, "Oh, let's start making Baltic no. porters"? <laughs> I've only really seen it in the recent few years. You know, we've yeah. had one uh, at Land Grant. This is our fourth year, and yeah. and we just With released that actually in the past week or two. Yeah. Um, I remember Warped Wing had one. Speaking of Dayton, I was over in Warped Wing, and they had a Baltic porter. There's a little boozy. It was a bit. It, I think yeah. it was way bigger than. What I would consider a Baltic porter, uh, maybe bordering more on a imperial stout. Mm-hmm. I think it's like over ten percent. Well, I mean the uh, the style guideline came out in two thousand four. Okay, and I really don't recall seeing anything commercially for several years. Yeah, uh, and then uh, I'm trying to remember what what that would have been. But I mean, um, I mean, some of the local brew pubs picked up a, a bigger porter, but that was about it. It certainly didn't enter my consciousness until maybe five or six years ago. I exactly. Think. Yeah. yeah. Well, we should probably have another beer. Now, I think that's an excellent segue, Pat, to say <laughs> we should probably have another beer. Maybe a Baltic porter this time. <laughs> Indeed. The very Indeed. same. <laughs> Zivik. Is that how we would say that, Pat? Zivich. Zivich. What do you think, AJ? I heard that the W is a B. Oh. And the C can be either a C or a CH. Okay. So I heard Zivik. Zivik. That sounds pretty close. It for the listeners out there, it's spelled Z Y W I E C. Yeah, but but on on those lines, I'm still trying to figure out Frauk, Frouch, whatever, <laughs> whatever that Heather Ale is. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not a podcast about uh, foreign languages, probably. No, but, hey. but so let's let's move along. Let's talk about this beer though. So this one is from Poland. This one is if I it's a bigger beer oh nine and a half percent yes so this is really at the upper end of the, yeah. of the range so what are you guys tasting uh, I'm getting a heavy toast and I get I'm getting a solid bitter at the finish too which is really nice yeah that's got a nice it does have a a bitter finish kind of you know like a baker's chocolate kind of yep, thing on the outside of, of exactly the, you know, sides of your tongue going mm-hmm. down it's uh it's pretty smooth you can definitely tell it it has a lager like Christmas to it, I think, in the finish, mm-hmm. would you say? Well, I, I like uh, uh, this kind of a beer with a little bit of a bitter finish, because otherwise it comes off a little flabby. And sometimes can be a little sweet, too. And I would say well, yeah, yeah. I would say that Baltica falls under that category, where it doesn't have really enough hops to back up a lot of that malt, and it can have a little a little bit of a sweet side to it. You could say it's, an, it's a bit of an outlier in that it's so strong, but if you just wanted to go out and... and Find a Baltic porter and say, what is this style all about? This, this would be a pretty good one to find, don't you think? Uh, especially one from the region. I think it's a great example that's available. Mm-hmm. And uh, also pretty, pretty good price. You've got a, a 500 milliliters of a 9.5% beer, which I think is... I think it's two twenty nine. Yeah, is what I paid Was over it? at Pace High. You know? Okay. Really nice beer. Doesn't come across as cloying. You know, we talked yeah. about that bitterness, which is so important, mm-hmm. and it's full of flavor. Here's a question... That I just have, it, this goes back to kind of a home brewing kind of thing. You're, you're making this with a lager yeast. I would say Baltic Porter, would you agree with me? It should have just a little bit of dark fruit character. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think uh, a lot of that starts to come out. This is a pretty cold bottle that's been straight out of the refrigerator. Once this sits in your hand a few minutes, it, it really starts to open up with some of those dark fruits and more of the chocolate. 
Yeah. I purposely shoot for the dark fruit flavor. Um, I like to go with complexity. A Baltic Porter that won Barley's last year was uh, actually had 14 grains in it. Wow. And okay. So, so I, and I like to layer. So when, when I, my, uh, my crystal malt component, it's like, it's like, a, you know, like a pound of crystal 80. Uh, and then it's got like a uh, half a pound of something like a special B, and then another half a pound of something like a uh, uh, that new Simpsons 190. Okay, oh, yeah. and so that you get you get the whole toffee, caramel, toast, roast, you know, and all that uh, that dark fruit going in there, and I just love that. Okay, so really, basically, complexity that dark fruit complexity is coming from layering of the crystal malts. Yeah, exactly. Be- okay. because the, uh, the you know the 80 gives you that toffee character. Then you got something like the, uh, the you know the special B gives you that raisin, right? The, then that Simpsons one ninety gives you something in the area of like a it's just it's just like a a deep dark fruit character to it, and you get all those going. Well, here's then another question, and it relates back actually to the whole uh, state fair beer. If you've got that kind of complexity, how much difference do you think you can taste between making a lager and making an ale? Well, in the, in the sense that when I make it as an, I, I, I have made it as an ale, but I'm usually using something like 1056, and I'm fermenting at 55 degrees. Yeah, so yeah. probably so, we could agree that unless you're making a very simple, clean beer, yeah, it's hard to pick up the differences it's a, it's between a pretty, a, pretty big and forward beer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and and this one especially at nine and a half, although. I would say alcohol is evident. I wouldn't peg this for nine and a half, would you? It drinks no, pretty nine, smooth. Yeah. But when you read the style guidelines for, the, for this beer, uh, uh, you get like, you know, what does it say? Like um, dark fruit. It says molasses, raisin, plum, you know, all, that, all those kind of things. And that, that actually sounds like uh, a warm ale ferment. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah that's why I asked right. that question. Yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Uh, um, but I, I like to, to keep things simple. I like I keep the grains the same. I brew cold um, so that uh, I can change the grains and do my adjustments that way. Okay. Because trying to do adjustments by warm fermenting, you don't know what you're going to get. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, of course. Now, AJ, when we brewed Mother Bird, it was like, what, triple concoction? Decoction. Was it? Thank you. Well, triple no, it triple was, it, decoction. It wasn't a, co- a concoction. It was a concoction <laughs> for sure. But yeah. so when we brewed it, it was triple decocted, right? I don't recall that. I recall it, and I was just like, "Man, this this is going on." Okay. I mean, it took us a, a long day of it. Yeah. You know, it might have been. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Rec- I don't. I don't remember that, and I didn't bring my notes. But it's. Uh, you know, I, I was big on decoction back then. Like we could have done that. I think we did, and we were even like, "Wow, three times." And uh, <laughs> now I don't g- know that it could have helped a lot to lend to uh, some of those caramely complexities in those malts. Just to back up for some of the listeners who are not brewers themselves, can you tell us what decoction mashing is? He can tell you what the concoction is. <laughs> yeah. How I do you do you a decoction concoction? So a decoction mash, I think, AJ, you're the first one that introduced me to it. And, and probably as a, uh, as a necessity back in the day to keep your mash up to temp uh, would be boiling as you're drawing off your wort uh, from your mash. And this can be a very good way to make sure you're hitting all three of your temperature rests as you are uh, in three steps, you know, ladling your boiled decoction back into the mash. Yeah, well, I mean, essentially, they didn't have uh, thermometers back then. Right. So what they would do is they would pull off a portion and then boil it and then dump it back down, and that would, that would raise their, the, the mash temperature. Because boiling is always the same temperature all over planet Earth if you're at the same elevation, right? Relatively, yeah. yeah. And so you boil it, and, you, and then it's just, if you're at 
a certain temperature and you have one third mm-hmm. at 212 Fahrenheit, you put them back together and you're going to, you can you, predict you where you're going to go. Yeah. You yeah. get your median. Right. Yeah, and you, you can't predict it. I've actually watched a, a master do this. I, I brewed many, many, many years ago with Herb Bressler. Oh, wow. And, I haven't heard that name in a long time. He's still around. He's still, oh, man, he's, I'd love to see Herb. He's, he's, he's still brewing too. Uh, but he, uh, he and I brewed a wheat beer on my, on my back patio many, many years ago. And he had his calculator and a, a notepad out, and he would we would measure so many pounds of grain and or scoops of grain or something yeah. like that, and we would boil it and he would put it back in. He says we're going to hit this temperature. And damned if we didn't hit it. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> we did it a second time, nailed it again. Third time, nailed it again. It was impressive. Oh, that's that's neat. Yeah, but also, of course, in the modern day and age, we have thermometers, but there's also something about the decoction and the flavor, right? So yeah. it's famous in German and Czech pilsners particularly Czech Pilsners, and, and there you have a simple beer. But you think you could taste the, a decoction mashing in a beer like this? Well, it, it, it bumps up to what they call the melanoidins, uh, yes. which, which, okay. is, which is that, you know, that special you know, umami, what do you want to call it, kind of a character that you can't really describe, but it's, it's there, and it, it gives you this level of flavor you just can't get otherwise. Right. Okay. Yeah. What about IBUs on, on a Baltic porter? We were just talking about how there has to be enough bitterness to... Balance yeah. all that malt sweetness. Well, the guidelines specify was it like twenty to forty, something like that. Uh, I, I wrote it down. Let me see. Uh, yeah, it's twenty to forty. And then, uh, but I I usually do mine at like forty five to fifty. Okay. And I just don't tell anybody. Okay. You know, I think uh, actually, especially if you're going to set it aside for a while, yeah, it's not a bad idea because when those hops start to fade down a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you make yourself have a longer lasting beer in the bottle. I would say. Mm-hmm. Well, the way I've been making mine lately, I've been using a lot of adjuncts and stuff like that. So it's got a creaminess to it and stuff like that, which tends to give it a lot of body, tends to give it a lot of sweetness. Okay. And you need to balance that a little bit. Does it matter what hops you use? I think I've, I've been using basically Magnum a lot lately. Okay. Just a big clean, do- clean bittering. Just a nice clean dose of Magnum up front. And then I, I might do some, uh, like a half an ounce of uh, a noble hop at the end. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It would probably be mostly. Noble hops, like yeah, originally, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, Altar, Tet, Saz, whatever, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would think so. It's what's available in that region. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't grow hops in Sweden and Finland. I don't think it's too cold up there. Can't just <laughs> <laughs> dig them up under the ice. <laughs> yeah. So I want to come back just a little bit to styles, and then we're going to go on with the story. But if we talk about styles, we talked about the difference between a Baltic porter and a robust porter earlier. What's the difference between a Baltic Porter and a Schwarzbier? One, it's a lot lighter. I don't really think you get quite the, like the chocolate, caramel, you know, it's, it's a lot more just roast flavors, you know, mm-hmm. coffee flavors. Mm-hmm. A lot drier, too, I would say. Yeah. Uh, kind of a really, you know, almost like a, a Schwarzbier, you don't really get the dark malts as much anyway. You wouldn't have the Probably dark Probably in, in, akin to a dark Pilsner. You know, like, that, that's where I was going to go with it because I, I've actually never made one, but it was to my mind, it was always been a, a, a pilsner with a handful of dark grains thrown in. That's the way I would look mm, at it too, yeah. like a good German pilsner, yeah. but yeah. dark. Yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, that's what I would Fair say. Enough. Fair enough. Do you think there's any relation between a dunkel and a Baltic porter? Oh, um, I could see that. A Munich dunkel is like, uh, isn't that like a fifty percent uh, Munich? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Probably Munich malt drives a lot of that beer. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it would be lower ABV. It wouldn't have the dark fruit overtones and things. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to have the beer. We'd have to have the beer in front of us, right? <laughs> yeah. We don't have any dunkles. I mean, tonight, I, so. I I made a dunkel not too long ago, maybe two years ago, and I, I don't recall putting as much um, uh, caramel malts in it. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I think you could make a dunkel maybe just from base malts. If you call Munich a base malt. Yeah, which, right. Yeah. Uh, or maybe like dark Munich, like that 15 Lovabond stuff. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a good, that's, a good, that's a good malt. Yeah. Well, let's uh, fast forward in time a little bit and say that your Baltic Porter, AJ, won the Barley's Homebrew Competition. Let's see, what was that? 2016, maybe? 2017. 2017. Yeah. yeah. How is that recipe similar or different to the State Fair beer that we talked about earlier in the podcast? Uh, I'd say like 85%, something like that. It's not too different. I, I just play with ratios a little bit. Okay. I mean, okay. I, I made probably since the since the State Fair, between State Fair and Barley's, I'd say there's probably maybe eight versions of the beer. But we're, we're, I'm just talking, you know, a couple percent of each grain here back and forth. Yeah, yeah, just, just tweaking it. You know, I try to dial in the, the chocolate, and then I try to dial in the dark fruit. And then the last batch I made, I try to dial in the, the toasted character. So every time I change one thing. Yes. And then and I say, okay, that's where it stays. Well, as a good scientist would. I mean, if you yeah, change yeah. three variables, how can you know which one matters? Exactly. Yeah. But you know, on the flip side, too, you, you change one thing, and it does skew the others a little bit. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the Barley's Homebrew Competition, for people who don't know, it's a homebrew competition sponsored by Barley's Brewing, but it's been going on for, I don't know, a long time. Uh, 20-some years. 20 yeah. Some yeah, years. yeah, a long time. So it's one of the most historic uh, homebrew competitions in the state of Ohio, I would say. I mean, I, at least I would call it that, maybe. Yeah. Well, well we've been, been in Ohio a lot longer than you, Pat. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, um, well, you've got I, the state fair and things. Well, you, if yeah. you win the state fair competition and the Barley's homebrew competition, that you got to be yeah. doing something right yeah. with that recipe. Um, yeah. I, I think um, I think Barley's competition is going into their like 23rd year now. Okay. Something like that. That sounds about right. Yeah. And when you win it, that means next year you get to come back and brew the beer at Barley's. So, what was it like to take? Uh, homebrew recipe and scale it up to a commercial recipe there at Barley's. Well, I mean, fir- first thing is that when you when you take a five gallon recipe and you multiply it by sixty and then brew it on somebody else's equipment, you're going to get a different beer. You have to be ready. Sure. You have to be ready for that. Um, but basically, uh, I took the recipe, multiplied it out, and then I showed it to Angelo. And, and one of the first things the the, uh, the brewery will tell you is that we like to do whole bags and half bags. Makes sense. So basically, I had to take whatever I'd given him and skew it towards that. And then to his credit, he went out and got everything. Okay. I, mean, I had 14 different grains in that batch, and he got them all. So, I, you know, kudos to him. And then uh, he, Angelo he, is a saint. He is. Well, he, you know, that's, that's the home brewer. In, Absolutely. In, in yeah. Him, yes. yeah. Um, but the bottom line was is that he got the right hops. He got, uh, and when it, when it came to yeast, um, when Gabe and I were uh, mashing in, Angelo took a hand cart. Uh, with a uh, five-gallon uh, bucket of uh, sanitizer, walked down the street to Gordon Biersch and came back with five gallons of lager slurry. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, Barley's is not known for their lagers, are they? Even their <laughs> Pilsner is not a lager. Exactly, yeah. Uh, how long did it have to lager? Well, that was the thing, is that uh, to fit into the schedule, we had to crunch it. Um, okay. Basically, we brewed the beer a month before it went on tap. All right. So, so we did a fast lager. Um, we... Uh, we, we just bumped everything up a couple of degrees along the way. Okay. And just rushed it through a little bit. Turned out nice. It worked Turned for me. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Actually, we've got, we're drinking right now. It's, a, it's going on two years old, but a bottle of the homebrew that, that, that won the competition. That won the competition. It's, it's a little tired, but it's, it's still not too bad. Yeah, the corners are knocked off a little bit. It's a little rounded. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's held up. That's right. It was called Foolish Mortal, right? Yeah, Foolish Mortal. And there was a barrel-aged version. Angelo put, uh, uh, I think he did uh, two 50-gallon barrels. Okay. And uh, I, got, I got a couple growlers of it. 
And so uh, when we went, the three the three of us went to uh, the Westgate uh, Homebrew uh, an, annual meeting, or, or, or that's right, yeah, their, their, or, win- or their seasonal meeting. Yeah. Well, it was nice to be invited. To that I had Absolutely. a good time. There were yeah. some great beers there. But we we uh, we drank the uh, the last of the uh, bur- bourbon barrel aged uh, foolish mortal. It was very good. Yeah. It was yeah. very good. Yeah, it's this is a beer that goes pretty well with the barrel. <laughs> it does. Have I? It's probably the first time I'd had a barrel aged Baltic porter though. Yeah. Well, when he said you want to you want a uh, bourbon barrel aged, and I said hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said go for it. It's an easy question to answer, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we probably should then move on and taste a few of the domestic examples. Yeah, and I have actually last year's Deep Search as well, if we want to do a vertical. Okay. Yeah, why don't we do it? Uh, could be interesting. I could I get so. a couple extra glasses, so maybe we could have them side by side. So. A little foray into aging. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. We've got a local example here, the <laughs> Land Grant Deep Search Baltic Porter. One of my favorites. Yeah. One of my favorites. Actually, it's one of one of my favorite beers that we make. But let's start with the new one. Let's start with the new one, which is on, on the right. So I had an old one in the fridge here from last year, so I'd been saving it to do a vertical. Okay. But we're starting with the new one, right? We're starting with the 2019. The 2019. Current okay. year. This makes a fine chili, too. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, you make you made a really good chili with this. We're, we're going to put a recipe for the uh, Baltic Porter chili up on on my blog site, so look for that. Yeah, it's a very nice beer coming off of the Zybich. Yeah, coming off of the Zybich, it's a it's a step down in alcohol just by one percent. This eight and a half percent. Eight and a half doesn't drink like eight and a half percent. No, not at all. It's a little drier. It's very uh, easy drinking, I think, for a beer of this description. Not quite as much of the chocolate, probably. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the older. Yeah, I think the older one has a little better um, dark fruit to chocolate relationship. I would agree that yeah. the new one is dialed back quite a bit on the dark fruit. Mm-hmm. So okay. if you've got a beer that ages, what are the kind of changes that happen? So one of the things is the hop flavor will die off, right? Typically, yeah. you'll, you'll yeah. lose some bitterness, yeah. Yeah. Well, or aroma, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But this is not a hoppy beer. So some, if you do get oxidation, let's just say hypothetically it might happen, that could bring a little more fruitiness to it, couldn't it? Kind of like a sherry. True. Boy, that old one's just so much more complex, isn't it? I agree. I think it, 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 I mean, it just speaks to how well the Baltic Porter can age. I mean, I know that these ones that we got uh, from across an ocean, I think they were dated like 2017, <laughs> one of yeah. them anyway, yeah. you know. They're not sending FedEx. They're, Let's no, just put it that way. It's not FedEx <laughs> no, overnight. They're, they're on a slow boat. They're yeah. on a boat, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And it's not clear how long it took them to load on the boat and how long it took to get to Ohio and, and, how, and somebody at uh, Giant Eagle to put it out. Yeah, or, and, yeah. Well, and how long they sat on the hot dock. And, yeah. Right. But it is. But despite all that, they still tasted pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one lesson of this podcast might be, you know, sitting on a Baltic porter for a year or so, not a bad thing. Uh, hey, it, it worked in the case of Motherbird for sure, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, without question. It's almost a theme that runs through the whole podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, well, you know, big dark beers in general, too. It's like uh, my, my Russian Imperial Stout, I, uh, I, I sit on it in, in the uh, secondary for like a year. Sure. Oh, in the secondary for you. I, I, will not, I will not keg it because I will drink it. Okay. So <laughs> it, it, it sits for a okay. year while it ages out. 
Now, Mark, I have a question for you. So I know okay. from listening to the Beers with the Brewers podcast, our brother podcast, we might say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was mentioned this week, wasn't it? Cross, yeah. little cross promotion here. Yeah. Yeah. Beers with the Brewers. That you guys change up the recipe a little bit to try and, you said, make it taste now like last year's recipe tasted in six months. That, you know, that was the plan. And how do you do that? What, what would you do to the recipe to make that happen? You know, that's a great question. I could compare the two recipes and, and we'd have to have, I think, Dan on the podcast to speak to it. <laughs> sure. Because yeah, right. Yeah. He's the one that threw it together. It, do you have any idea if that's change, changing in the malt bill? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was. There were, there were a couple uh, hop changes as well, which were neither here nor there. They're all noble hops and, and not significant enough. You know, although it is, IBU's uh, 39 on this, AJ. Yeah. So trying to go on the high side of that, which I think is a good, I think it's a good move on an mm. eight and a half beer. Yeah. But I mean, that, that is an interesting concept, you know, to uh, ask a bunch of brewers, you know, how would you make a beer to be taste the best on next September 17th? Yeah, yeah, yeah that is that's a that's yeah. a conversation in and of itself. So uh, the malt bill on this is uh, Munich Swain Pilsner aromatic malt caramel Munich extra special malt and Black Prince to okay. Uh, okay. give us some color without a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of that burnt character. Well, it's got a beautiful color. It's it's kind of yeah, that, it's that, got that a, copper it, dark copper. I don't know. How would you guys describe Almost it? Almost ruby. Yeah, know, ruby. Yeah. Rich ruby. That's ruby. It tastes, it tastes better the more it's warming up right now. Like As it warms up, it, I mean, I think it's better. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really starting to open up. Yeah, a lot of beers are like that. I mean, my, my all-time, one of my all-time favorites to, uh, to serve slightly chilled and then put it in a goblet and just sip on it for a little while is uh, uh, Sammy Claus. Yeah. Sammy Claus is like 18 different beers between 45 degrees and 65 degrees. It's just amazing. And at the strength that it is, it's good to savor it over a long period of time. Exactly, yeah. Now, AJ, you had a story earlier. You were talking about uh, the malting process back in the old days. Yeah. Um, uh, that maybe went down in the creation of this style. I think, I think it plays a, a part. Um, when I was researching the style, um, I discovered that um, the, the one historical reference that I could find was in, in terms of blown malt. Which, uh, if you look back at the 2004 guidelines, they, we, we mentioned blown malt, and then it subsequently got rotated out. Um, but uh, in the days before drum roasting, they would put the, uh, the grains in a shallow pan, and then they would uh, do a uh, wood fire, which is very uneven. And so what would happen is they would get this, this uneven cooking, and then they would, at some point the, the grains would start to pop. Okay, and then they would they would pull them out, and they they were shooting for brown malt back in those days. But the, the reference also mentioned uh, spraying water to keep them from popping. So to me, that's crystal malt. Yeah, yeah. It, sound, it sounds like it. Yeah. So basically, what you've got is you, if you if you would go through that pan, I'd be willing to bet that you're going to find everything from amber malt to brown malt to uh, middle crystals to high end crystals to even something resembling like a a, a low uh, a low chocolate. Probably. So basically, yeah. you know, and they were using that as the, like, 80% of the grist. So, I mean, and, uh, you know, hence, you know, you're looking at Baltic porters today, you know, you got crystal malt, you got brown malt, yeah. you got base malt, you got chocolate malt. That's, they, were, they were getting it all in one pan, and we're putting it in separately, but what's the difference? Yeah. That's like... That's, that's crazy. Yeah. It's like the porter mix squared. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. AJ's yeah. porter mix. Yeah. Plug that in your Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Stick that in your Mac and, and process it. Yeah. 
I'm glad I saved that 2017 can or 2018. <laughs> yeah. I definitely think that the, the one-year-old uh, deep search holds up holds up with the European examples with the best I've had. And, you know, that could lend to the fact that the European examples that we have are, are pretty <laughs> old. But we have a, uh, a 2017 keg, a 2018 keg, and a 2019 keg. Okay. And we've got a bourbon barrel aged. We just have deep search on now for this year. But I was thinking here in a few weeks, maybe we'll do a vertical down at the brewery. Uh, I think we want to taste this 2017 first to make sure we want an audience to consume it. However, it could be a real interesting four-beer flight. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, count me in if you do that. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to it. It's like uh, Angelo has a a history of uh, finding old kegs. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm hoping that sometime in the near future, <laughs> Foolish Mortal turns up somewhere. Yeah, I have a I have a sneaky suspicion that Angelo, much <laughs> like when I would occasionally find that one last mother bird, you know, <laughs> when you've got that beer and and you've got it in bottles and you've got it stowed away in boxes, it's pretty easy to say, yeah, it's all gone. But then. Mm-hmm. A year later, you try it, and you're saying, man, wait till AJ comes around. We're going to pop this one open. Yeah. I'll bet he's got something up his sleeve there, AJ. I will find out, yeah. Now, AJ, if someone at home, uh, homebrewer, said they want to foray into the Baltic Porter game, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give them? Complex malt bill, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, uh, and and that's the only way I can say it, basically, is, uh, you know, uh, at least Vienna, possibly Munich in the base malts. At the sort of one third of the base malt. Well, I mean, uh, whatever your base malt is, yeah, you can you can break it up however you want. Sure. I'm, I'm, there's no there's no guidelines on that, but I mean, you can do quarters, halves, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, but you know, I, I would definitely do. Uh, I wouldn't make it all ba- uh, pale malt or, yeah. or pilsner. I mean, I would I would definitely rotate rotate in a significant amount of uh, Vienna or Munich. Put in some biscuit, aromatic, uh, amber, uh, brown, something like that. Get some toast going. And then uh, layer your crystal malts, of course. And then uh, uh, the dark malts. I'm, I'm adding like um, pale chocolate, chocolate, like a black patent. Okay. Or, and, and or Prince or what, what's the other one? Uh, the, the Wireman um, Huskless. Uh, uh, yeah, the midnight wheat. Yeah, the midnight wheat or the, yep. yeah, the, the, cho- yep. the chocolate wheat. And then I'm just I'm doing the whole gambit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Well, AJ, thanks for coming on tonight. Oh, uh, it's great. It's been a lot of fun to drink some great, amazing beers and to talk Baltic borders. I had a good time.